Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. My name is Dale Driver and today I'm joined by Matt Perzler. Hello. Hello. You all right, Matt? I'm, I'm good, thank you, Dale. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Jesse, you're also here. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Dale. I feel nervous. <laughs> Why? I don't know. It's like a big setup. I'm here. It's all good. Uh, but how are you doing is the big sell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that not a question that you deal with every day? Not really. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. What have we got today? So, obviously, me and Jesse are on the podcast. So what does that mean? We're talking about Resident Evil, obviously. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> yeah. But, obviously, the big talking point is that Resident Evil 4 is out today. <gasps> I mean, was it yesterday? Today. today. But yesterday, yeah. if you're in New Zealand, who live in the oh. future. Yes, but we've been uh, very fortunate to have had the game for a little bit and uh, we've got to spend lots of time with it so we're going to be chatting about that but also coming up on the podcast we're going to talk matt's played redfall and you've written a preview about redfall we're going to talk about that and also the mysterious everywhere which um i'm sure is going to provoke a conversation or two (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then we've also we decided this week um, we had so much good feedback this week that we're going to do a double dose of feedback as well so we'll get to that later in the show but first Resident Evil 4. Now, I've finished it twice. Jesse, have you? How many times have you finished it? I've finished it six times. What the <laughs> fuck, Jesse? Is that actually true? Yeah. Are you joking? I'm not joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I knew you'd done it like on professional mode really fast. Yeah. But six times. It's a good game, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, where do we start like with Resident Evil? Like, Matt, what's your, what's your burning question? Uh, my big bonus, so obviously I know, like I have played Resident Evil 4, it was the first Resident Evil I ever played. I've actually only ever played the Wii version. <laughs> that's, Which, that was that's my good version to it. Yeah, it's one yeah. of the best versions to be fair. Mm. Mm-hmm. But kind of like as the as the series is ticks on, I'm ultimately currently at the point where I think Resi 2 Remake is my favourite of the Resi mm-hmm. games. Mm. And obviously this is in the lineage of that, of what 2 started, right, as a remake structure. What is it that's been bought from their learnings of Resi 2 that's made Resi 4? I'm guessing better since we gave it a 10. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd start off by saying, even though I think this game is like is phenomenal, like it's building on top of a phenomenal game to begin with. Yeah. And it, it's only improving across the board. I still do think I'm like you. I think Resident Evil 2 is probably still my mm-hmm. preferred game. And I think that's more... Um, just about style and tone and location. And yeah, I like love that, that structure. I've, I've, yeah. I've just finished replaying Resi 2 again and I still can't get enough of that. that just immersing yourself in that police station yeah. and yeah. learning it and, and figuring out all the shortcuts and all the secrets. It's, it's yet to be beat, really, in yeah. my eyes. I mean, ultimately, I know that I'm mostly a fan of evil residences. Right? <laughs> so like, so the haunted mansion, the police station, mm-hmm. and then even like with Resident Evil 7, the Baker house and stuff yeah. like yeah. that. That's my favorite sort of set. However, Resident Evil 4 is, is like 
scope-wise is way beyond what the other games did. It was originally and it is now as well. It still maintains, you know, it will take you about 15 hours mm -hmm. on your first playthrough to finish this game. It is a it is a very large game. And what I'd say what they've done in terms of Resident Evil 2, what they've learned from that is definitely uh, being extremely faithful to the source material, but also um, making changes where in 2023, those changes feel like they need to be made. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think Resident Evil 3 was a big step back. Yeah. Um, it definitely felt rushed because the success of Resident Evil 2 and they just need to turn 3 around. Yeah. However, there's huge sections of the game from the original that they cut out in the Resident Evil 3 remake. And yes, yeah, some of those sections weren't the best, but I feel like they could have rejigged them and, and um, remixed them like what they've done in 2. They probably did it more in 2, but in 4, they've definitely done that as well. Yeah. Cool. There's... Um, so we've got actually got a video going out this weekend, which is about some of the biggest story differences. And ultimately the story is the same, but the journey is slightly different, how you get there. Yeah, I mean, that, that's your column that was actually sort of stuck in my head as I was playing through it. Cause um, you obviously did a column about like video game remakes mm -hmm. and ultimately like what they should really offer an experience. And as I was playing through Resident Evil for remake, you know, it's, it's way more than just a HD clone. We've been seeing that version of Resident Evil 4 re-released for years now. Over and over and over <laughs> yeah, again, every at platform. This point. Yeah. And, that's, and mm -hmm. it sort of makes people forget that this is a game from 2005. It was released on the GameCube. It's ancient at this point. And if you if you break down Resident Evil 4's highlights, you know, you've, you've got the village you blast through, you've got the church you save Ashley in, you've got the lake, the castle, and the island, and you visit all of those places in the remake, of course, but it's, it's reimagined and it's remixed in a way that, for me always kept me on my toes and just sort of had yeah. me smiling all the way throughout. I don't but, think it's ever like um, remix beyond recognition as well. Yeah. It's, it's always treading that fine line between, oh, this feels familiar or this mm. like, oh, I remember this room, but then what's going to happen outside of this room or the next step? Oh, that's not how exactly it went last time. Like, oh, I, I like, it's, it's like, I would dare to say this one is like the perfect balance of that. Yeah. Whereas I feel like Dead Space was close, but it was maybe almost too slavishly mm -hmm. like faithful yeah um, this one is definitely like pushes it just a little bit more um with, but without insulting the original and what people love about it yeah, yeah exactly. i think oh, no. one of the th sorry jesse one of the things that comes to mind with this is the idea of i think when you're doing a remake you need to kind of like recontextualize it through who are the current like like directors of the project mm. that's recontextualized by what does the game need to be today right yeah and i think one of the things that of the i've watched very little of this just because i knew i was always going to play it i'll play it today on release date but i know that for example the krauser boss fight is is much more of an actual boss fight these days yeah and i think the thing that that I, is cool about that is when resident evil 4 originally came out QTEs were like starting to become flavor of the year, right? Like everybody was doing QTEs so you could have these super cool boss battles that look cinematic that you sort of had a hand in but didn't really have a hand in. Yeah. And the fact that they've made that an actual boss fight now I think is a demonstration of we've got the tech now and the audience demand is that you can play the game rather than yeah. watch the yeah. game. And I think that's what I'm looking for in that's, something like this. That's that's what I was worried about before, like, because I remember seeing that in a trailer and, you know, I was sort of thinking to myself, how how can you really adapt? Like, one of the coolest or best examples of a QTE cutscene of near enough that entire era when, you know, mm -hmm. Krauser and Leon are having that knife fight. And like you said, you make it an actual knife fight in the remake that you can play through. And as soon as that <laughs> wrapped up for me, I was like, 
shit, that controlled really well. In my head, I was like, can we actually be in a place where we can make the remake live up to how cool that cutscene was? And I feel like it absolutely delivers for me. I think it, it's a very, that, that particular fight scene is very clever in terms of when you actually played it through a couple of times and you realise you can, you can see the cracks and you can see like, it is kind of just like little mini cutscenes strung together. Yeah. But it definitely, you def, but it does, the presentation of it feels you so much more active instead of I'm just hitting the Y button or whatever it was yeah. in the original it, game, like the triggers or something. It's like now you're actually, yeah, you are, you are using the knife techniques that you've been using this entire game um, and they in turn trigger moments. Yeah, yeah, between. exactly. It, it, it puts forth that illusion really well where Leon and Krauser are sort of like both slowly fighting for space. Like you'll go in for a swipe, he'll, you know, dodge it or parry it, and then he'll back away only to come back charging. And if you miss that parry, then you might get locked up into like a little button mashing minigame. And then yeah. and then you get some of that like original Resident Evil 4 dialogue in those sections. So it's all incorporated just yeah. really well. I think um, a great, like one moment that um, is very early in the game, so it's not really a spoiler. And I think it's kind of illustrates like where they're at now is, in the original game, you'd have that sequence where the giant boulder is pushed to you mm -hmm. and you've just got to hammer the buttons to run away from the boulder. And now there's an homage to that sequence. There's a moment that like makes you think, like lures you in, you think, oh, this is that going to be that. And then it's just slightly different. And but it relies on how you deal with it is more modern techniques. You know? Yeah. It's a, like it's people trying to cause this thing. I'm trying not to sorry, but cause a situation <laughs> and then you have to use your brain to solve it's a yeah. puzzle. No, it's not even a puzzle. It's just walking around. But like, it, like, it doesn't feel like a moment from 2005. It's something that no, you would exactly. expect in a modern Resident Evil. It feels like meant, a yeah. Yeah. It's the idea of what happened in the original and then then but now it feels like a modern implementation of it. Yeah. And uh they that the game is is full of that really. And I'm also quite surprised, like pleasantly surprised how much of the weirdness and the campiness they've kept in as well, because yeah. it could have been so easy to strip all that back and say that was campy 2005. We want it to be gritty and serious. But <laughs> yeah. Leon is still there. He's still doing like German suplexes to people <laughs> and like roundhousing them in the face. He's still, Salazar is still, you know, uh, you know, a small man who's very <laughs> crazy and weird looking and stuff. Um, some of the, like he's still, and it's well documented now. He still says the line about everyone going to bingo. Yeah. Like, They've taken some things out because some things go. They've definitely taken like me and Jesse were joking about it yesterday. They've they've toned down the horniness of everyone a little <laughs> right. bit in the game because <laughs> there was a lot of that going on in the original. Yeah, um, especially because you know it's consistently people being distracted by the mission because they wanted to try a little pickup line. You know? <laughs> um, but that's the thing. Like but, even when it comes to the characters themselves, like primarily Leon and Ashley, I think. They're probably the most human characterizations we've seen from protagonists in a Resident Evil game. Like, like you know, Dale said, like, don't get us wrong, there's still like plenty of dumb lines mm. throughout the game. But you, you see an actual relationship grow with Leon and Ashley throughout the game that you Definitely. didn't really get in the original. That's only ever really um, left for cutscenes. And they're, yeah. you know, quite spare, but... At first in the remake, you see that Ashley is, you know, apprehensive and scared about a lot of things. But then outside of the cutscenes, you get moments when you're interacting, you know, and it can be dependent on your actions. If you pick something up, Ashley might say something. If you get hurt and heal yourself, Ashley will ask you if you're okay now and stuff. And it's the small little things that sort of build up their relationship compared um, to how you see in the original game where 
yeah, everyone's just horny by the end of the game. <laughs> well, it's also in the original, Ashley is just completely complicit at all times, right? Leon, like as soon as Leon's there, she's <laughs> it's like, like, get like, in I'm, the bin. And she's like, okay. Yeah. And then hides. he's like, I'm your knight, I'm your knight in shining armor. Do exactly what I say. And she's complicit the whole way through. And she's yeah. like, you know, presented as like worshiping him by the end of it. And, you know, you can understand <laughs> that a little bit because he's her savior. But um, in this one, there's definitely, a, they have to build that relationship. She is very hesitant of him at first. Mm. And um, a great tiny example, like, don't want to go too much in spoilers, but a great tiny example is the first time now that you ask her to hide in something. Her response, she literally just goes, what? <laughs> like, what What are you asking me to do here? This is weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but then by the end of it, you know, she she starts to warm to him and they develop a relationship. And um, I think across the board, the game is is full of that. Krauser and Leon's relationship is, is developed this time as well. It's not... Yeah. Like, I remember playing the original in 2005 and... Once I finished the Salazar Castle part, I thought that was going to be the end of the game. Because, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, looking back at hindsight now, I shouldn't have been so stupid because Sadler is peppered in throughout the first half of it. Yeah. Uh, but Krauser doesn't show up until about the 10th hour of that game. Like, <laughs> yeah. he's just not in the game at all. And then all of a sudden, he's like, Remember when we used to be buddies back in the army? And I was like, Who are you? What's yeah, you going on? I thought I died in that yeah. crash. And I was like, What? Yeah. Like, the, the writing, it, like, like although it's a you know an iconic game and story like yeah you know, there's, there was definitely room for improvement i feel like they've i feel like across the board they've spotted every element where they can improve this game and they've achieved it mm, absolutely there's even just like one tiny moment because for me resident evil has never been a scary experience and stuff even if whether you play it in vr and stuff it's always just been a, a fun action horror inspired experience for me but there's there was one moment in the remake where and it's the regenerator's first expi- first appearance. Everyone sort of remembers it in the original, where you can hear them hear them sort of breathing in the distance in the lab, and it's like quite a creepy moment. But in the remake, it just reminded me of, um, and I won't go into too much detail, but it reminded me of when I played Amnesia for the first time as a kid when I was like thirteen years old. And it's hearing that monster first, not being able to see it, and then that the fear of un of the unknown, and you mm. sort of like get like a little twist in your stomach. And I and I had that just a few brief moments when I was playing the remake and it felt great. It was like a genuine surprise. Like, oh, Resident Evil can be creepy still at times. Yeah. And they nailed I mean, that in the remake. That's my favorite Resident Evil. And, and 4 is definitely, like, it has the spirit of the original. Yeah. Like, it's like, if they remake 5, I imagine, you know, they might have to make some bigger decisions, I guess, with that. But 4, like, they knew they were working with a masterpiece to begin with. Absolutely. Right? So it's like, how do we make the one of the greatest games of all time, just that little bit better. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I like, I, I could, I feel like I could talk about this game for hours, but also feel like it would just be recounting some of our favorite moments, the scenes and stuff. <laughs> yeah. and, but obviously people haven't played the game yet. They're playing it today, hopefully on, you know, over the weekend. Uh, so maybe it'd be good to check back in when other people have played it, Matt, when you've played it, when mm-hmm. Cardi's mm-hmm. played it, whoever, and uh, just see what everyone else thinks. Um, but yeah, Resident Evil, pretty good. It's a very Turns final out. question. How are the headshots? Because I love the ones in two, like the proper head split, like shotgun blasts. So I was under the impression when I played the demo originally that they didn't have like the, I can't remember what they called their Gore-Tec, but you know, Mm -hmm. their flesh peeling-y system thing. Um, And they definitely didn't have it in three, but I think it is there just in a different form. Um, A good example is if someone, a Ganado gets trapped in a bear trap, which they can get trapped in their own bear traps this time. It's really stupid, but it's funny. (laughs) Um, Like for example, if you boot them, out of it like their leg will rip off and like stay in the mm-hmm. trap and stuff like you if you're firing the shotgun around like 
like especially the striker like quite clumsily you'll see like bits of arms dropping off and you'll see like all the the sort of the tentacle sort of mm-hmm. things of the last plaga like yeah. hanging out there was definitely gore like that i don't see you don't see like face you see a head explode obviously like but um yeah i think i guess they're pretty satisfying yeah <laughs> like, nice. it's com- combat is so fast and there's so many enemies to deal with all the time yeah. that you don't often take time to get around and and mm-hmm smell the roses just you know, wait, when you blow up an enemy just look like Dale said at the details of the plugger sort of just like crawling around their bodies and trying to reach out because it is grim yeah. but it's just really impressive but there's also like I still haven't quite worked out I don't even know if I ever worked out it's in the original the ones that have the uh, the plugger things that will come out their heads mm. and they're all like flying all over the place is like is there a system where you should acknowledge that these ones don't you don't want to do a headshot because it would explode or do they always explode no matter what I think I think the head would like either it depends obviously how far you're into the game because it's just random chance whether the yeah Ganado... that's the thing I, w- I wasn't sure if there was a tell and like oh you don't want to do a headshot on these ones yeah. because it will make it worse um, like kind of like the crimson head things you know like yeah. and they, they have a version of that in this where some of them will go down you see them convulsing on the floor and you can use a knife attack to make sure they don't become something more um, but yeah it's very satisfying isn't it like um i did i just playing through bits for capture for a video that i've made that's gone live today about all the cool little details in it and um i had so much fun also putting it down to the easiest mode and just running around and just like <laughs> dominating everybody and seeing like sort of what variations you can do yeah like, like shooting shooting uh, a stick of dynamite that's in someone's hand yeah, and just seeing like good. the spanish granny explode is <laughs> <laughs> hilarious it's all it's always very satisfying yeah there's, there's definitely lots of ways you can take people out like you can weaponize cows in this game like if you if you pop a bullet in a cow, it'll go mental and run around her <laughs> face. But if there's loads of enemies in front of you, it'll take all the enemies out mm-hmm. for you. Uh, it will take you out if it gets to you. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's lots of like creative way. There's lots of like hanging lamps and things like that. Yeah. Like the I, I will well. say though, before we move on, whatever you do, don't play this game on hardcore for your first playthrough. The game will suggest that if you're a fan of Resident oh, Evil yeah. 4, don't do it. The game is difficult now. Yeah. So yeah, even though I played on standard my first time around and there's several sections where, um, yeah, it took like, you know, three or four goes to get through. There's, um, people remember on the original, there's a storm of um, a villa when you're in there with Luis and you've just got waves coming at you. That took me quite a few goes because I did not, <laughs> I went into that with a lack of ammo because I didn't know it was coming up. And uh, yeah, like took, I had to be really strategic about it to get through it in the end. Yeah, yeah it's, it's I would say definitely play on standard you first go around and then there's there's hardcore and there's professional afterwards if you really want to test yourself and uh yeah it's it's a good fun time very got much mercenaries is. coming soon as well yeah april 7th which is a like pretty quick turnaround like you can play through the campaign like almost like they again. had it ready i know already <laughs> yeah and they've just held it back for another release you know? it's a nice little it's a nice little <laughs> drop i'm happy okay uh so, Matt, let's move on. You've played Redfall and we have not. So mm-hmm. tell us all about it. <laughs> so so Redfall is, as uh, I, I imagine most people now know from the marketing because it's been delayed a few times and, and we've had it in pretty much every Xbox showcase, I think. Yeah. Um, is a, uh, it's a four-player, I think it's four-player, yeah, co-op yeah. Um open world game very much kind of like in the vein of like a maybe a borderlands meets far cry but rather than shooting weird fucking monsters like you would in in a borderlands or people in a far cry your main antagonist in this are vampires Mm. so it's set in the town of redfall which is like an island off massachusetts it's got very kind of like 
Stephen King vibes in the you know like mm. Steve, all of Stephen King's stuff is it's mostly set in Maine isn't it Stephen King stuff but it's <laughs> yeah. got that kind of east coast slightly spooky like all of the houses like kind of look a little bit like they could all be haunted yeah it's it's that kind of vibe but it's an open world game you players uh there's four different characters to choose from each with very very different abilities um and it's made by arcane so these are the guys that made dishonored that made prey it's not the death loop team um it's the it's the team from austin rather than leon in france and Obviously, I'm a big Arcane fan, so I was very excited to play this. And what I will say initially is this is a lot more conventional than their other games. Uh, so I wasn't, I've not been as kind of like blown away by it as I have. Like, I really obviously love Deathloop and I love Dishonored. Mm. But what I would say is I still think this was really good. And it is kind of, I've got a bit bored of Far Cry, basically. Kind of the last mm. couple haven't really done it for me. And Borderlands never really does it for me because i don't like the humor of borderlands <laughs> um this feels like it's in a sweet spot of it's that kind of game like i do like open world games i like games that you know i can play with friends as well i like games with weird sort of abilities mm. um it's it's got like that um it's got a little bit of that kind of like the out of the box thinking that arcane has but it is definitely a very recognizable open world with safe houses yeah. with kind of like open world activities to go and do and and sort of like taking back areas from the villains it's a very conventional shooter in that way the the, the loot is tier graded like you're going to get like gold guns and blue guns oh, okay, and green okay. guns it's oh, got okay. it's got a lot of very recognizable things which is not what i expect from arcane no, no, like yeah. i expect arcane's games to be very bizarre and mm. not like what i've played in other things so it is like as I say, it means that kind of like what I've done is I've played a game that is quite similar to a lot of other games that I've played before, which means that I'm not instantly like, holy crap, this is like something really special. But I do think that it is pulling in ways that might make me a lot more interested in open world shooters again. Um part of that is just it's got vampires in it and very good vampires. They um they've got kind of like a real good creep vibe to them. They kind of like hang in the air quite ethereally <laughs> like right. very very strange they're quite unnerving when you see them um but the actual way that you have to kill them is um so you've got a, a massive variety of like very standard guns you've, you've got shotguns pistols yeah all of those kind of things that you would expect in a far cry game to enable different situations you know are you close are you far do you want to use a sniper rifle do you want to use a silence gun or whatever but none of those bullets are ever gonna kill a vampire because vampires obviously are immortal and there are laws to how you take down vampires and this game has that so once you've like decimated their health bar, basically, they just kind of hang in the air and all of their chest starts to kind of like unfurl and peel back and sort <laughs> right. of like glow. And then quite a lot of your guns have a bayonet that's a stake on the end. And you run over and you slam it into them and you get like a really super cool animation where like all of their flesh just ignites and burns oh, away and leaves crazy. their skeleton behind. <laughs> so it's got... I wouldn't say it's a gory game by any means, but it is very kind of theatrical when yeah. it comes to taking out vampires. And then if you don't have a stake, because I did notice like you don't have to have a stake and it's not like your character is equipped with like stakes instead of like a knife. Yeah. So if you decided for whatever mad reason that you haven't got a gun that has a stake attached to it, there are other ways that like you can set the bodies on fire. So if you've got a flare gun or if there's like an explosive barrel nearby where you can blow up a car... And then you can also use electricity because obviously electricity generates heat and that will blow them up. So there's a lot of that. Like, 
oh, there's a pile of kind of like electrical equipment over here. If I can create some sort of explosion yeah. around them, they'll do. So there's a lot of that kind of, I wouldn't say it's a like a full environmental destruction sort of thing. It is very much like I can see pre-planned bits that they've dropped into this environment that we know you're going to have a fight here. So therefore we've given you a few tools around. Yeah. Um, what and- about garlic bombs? Ah, oh, <laughs> see... And- uh, what's the other one? Um, Silver. Uh, about, about like crosses, is, is there any religious aspect? I have to not it? seen it. So, so there's no religious aspects because they're not demonic in nature. This is very much a 21st century reimagining of vampires in that well, they're it's like basically. They're, they're the 1%. So they are okay. people that desperately oh. want to be immortal and have got the money to pay to be immortal. That's cool. And they basically, there's. An umbrella-like pharmaceutical company that have developed <laughs> vampirism, basically, to Wicked. allow people to live forever. So they're like bioorganic designed millionaires, vampires. sort yeah. of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're like, you can have immortal life. You just unfortunately you have to like suck, eat suck blood. blood. Yeah, yeah. For the rest of your life. <laughs> and it's quite funny. What's happened is is kind of like the area of Redfall, and from what I understand, kind of like, so the map does seem smaller than a lot of open world games, which for me is actually a pro. Yeah, like, sounds like I've, a good thing. I've got fed up of like what like. Far Cry's constant attempt to our map is bigger than it was last time. And it's like your map's bigger than it was last time, and I spend so much time just walking through fields. Yeah, um, this feels much more kind of smaller and contained. And the bit that I was in, I think, is its equivalent of, I guess, like Zelda's like Great Plateau style mm. thing. Like it was the okay. opening, and like you could get from north to south in it in about five minutes. Like it is like. They're just compact streets. I'm into that. I'm into that. Um, but each area of the world is going to have like a different vampire god that's in charge of it. So the stuff that I was doing was this guy called the Hollow Man, which I learned a little bit about it, but obviously they were very much like, we're only going to give you so much story in a 90-minute yeah. demo. Um, and that was I had to go to his house to try and find out clearly like the item that i got at the end of that quest is an item that i'll be able to use to weaken him so that he's not godlike anymore and give me an Mm -hmm. opportunity to kill him uh and that mission was that was kind of like i'd say a relatively standard kind of infiltration house clearing mission Mm. in that he got this massive mansion and obviously i needed to find a secret inside but the mansion had got like these types of what i've dubbed kind of like cctv vampires that are on the top (laughs) that have like you can see like the laser line coming out of their eyes and they're scanning for, oh, for kind right. of people that are coming in. And then they've got kind of like more, I guess what you call like attack dog style mm. vampires that are hanging around. And they've got groups of cultists with them because there's a load of humans that, as we see on social media, there are a lot of people that like to suck up to our big billionaires, <laughs> don't they? Yeah. And it's basically they've just like converted half the island to being people that are obsessed with vampires and want to serve them. Right. So those guys are very much your standard. You know, you see a group of them and you're like, oh, I'm going to create a noise over here and get like two of them to leave the pack. Yeah. And then I can jump down and I can sort of knock them out from behind and then just hurl a, like a grenade or whatever over the fence and get rid of the other two. How... It's- how much of this can be because like the way i like to play dishonored would be you know mm-hmm. like an entire stealth run but with Deathloop, i went like all guns in blazing yeah. and stuff mm-hmm. so like, how, how much of this can you try and maintain a certain level of stealth all throughout or is it always just going to be a mix just based on what you experienced so what i would say is like this is definitely a shooter like okay. it's it's not dishonored dishonored is a stealth game it was like their modern 21st century yeah. in, like version of what thief used to be this is clearly them like the two touch points they said that they were using as influences is their other games obviously but also far cry 2 and stalker 
which are the two weirdest kind of options you could have for they were open world games that were doing things interesting in open world before everybody decided that actually far cry 3 was the template for literally every one of these shooters ever going um which i've only seen like small glimmers of what that will be but my hope is is that that means it's a bit more interesting but in regards to how you approach stealth or whatever i think there's to send people to another website if you go to xbox wire what uh previous <laughs> uh previous podcast host and friend of the podcast joe screbbles um because he works at xbox he got to play the demo through twice and he's played it with two Bastards. different characters and i think that is where you're kind of more arcane what sort of playstyle do i want it's not do I just go in stealth or do I go in loud? It's yeah. choose a character that supports right. the playstyle you want. So there is a guy, and I can't remember what his name is, but one of the characters is like ex-special forces. His special ability is he can go invisible. He's got like a raven that he can send into areas to <laughs> scout for him. And he's got like an ability where he can highlight like 10 enemies on the map and just okay. take them out instantly. Like bang, 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 bang. Yeah, yeah. So he's Jacob clearly... Boyer, is it? Pardon? Jacob Boyer? Yes, that's the yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, so he is clearly your stealth agent. Like he's got, you know, like a, a sniper rifle and a invisibility cloak that's designed for that. Whereas if you want to be maybe a little bit more louder and chaotic, there's a girl called Remy, and she's kind of like a demolition and robotics expert. So she's got like a little robot that you can send in that I think can like electrocute enemies, and then you can go in with a uh, a C4 charge, and you can slap that <laughs> on things and blow people up. You can good. also upgrade the C4, so you can use it as like a bouncing bomb, so you mm. can throw it down, explode it, and you can ride the explosion like up over other enemies and then drop down nice. and, and, and shoot them from behind and stuff. So there's definitely that mix. I played as a guy called Davinda, who is um, basically British Buffy, <laughs> Like he is, he's built his entire kind of like, he's got like a YouTube channel, is a aspiring kind of documentary kind of maker. But his documentaries are if Attenborough was interested in fucking weird things. So is he the one that was advertised as the zoologist? Yeah, he's the cryptozoologist. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, so he is obviously, it's interesting because it is a game where the characters speak to themselves. It's got a little bit of that. And I think they speak to each other if you play in co-op. But who you play as will dictate kind of like almost how the story is delivered to you because Davinda is obviously obsessed with vampires. So he's coming up with all the names for the vampires as you meet them and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. So you're getting, whereas I imagine if you play as someone like Jacob, you're getting a much more militarized kind of version of how like he experiences the story. Yeah. But Davinda's kit is much more kind of like DIY kill vampires. So he's got this uh this kind of lance that you throw that when it lands it just spits out a load of electricity <laughs> so very good for stunning people and like yeah d- basically deleting vampires out of existence <laughs> um he's got his ultimate is something called the black light which is basically a camera tripod with a shitload of uv lights on the top and when vampires get caught in that it turns them to stone so you just run up to them and hit them a few times and they collapse into pieces that's like a blade weapon yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) and then he's got which i really liked he's got a translocator so it's like a frisbee that you chuck and then you just appear wherever the frisbee lands which that's for me really as someone cool. that's played shitloads of Dishonored was very yeah, much like, that's what I was thinking. oh, I've got here and I can see that window on the third floor is open. Rather than me fighting my way through this place, I'm just going to throw it up through there and I'm going to mm. get in and I'm going to sneak around a bit. Um, I've got a question in yep. terms of these abilities. Um, 
So obviously you didn't get to play in co-op, mm -hmm. but it, did you get the implication that like they, people are going to have complementary abilities in co-op? Yeah, so I spoke to Harvey Smith, who's the director. So him and uh, Ricardo Bear, who are the two directors on the project, I spoke to them like last year about that. And the one thing they did say they wanted to do is they didn't want to do something like It Takes Two where one person has yeah. an ability and it can only work if there's another person there because they're like that completely invalidates the play style of someone that only wants to play it on their own mm. but what there is is abilities that complement each other i can't tell you what those are because mm. i didn't get to use that but certainly uh when we had like we were given like a little bit of a presentation before we got to play the demo and harvey smith was like we've designed the characters to be able to like you will work out that, oh, this ability is great on its own, but it actually works way more to a higher potential when another person's doing something else at the same time. Yeah. I mean, like, this game, to me, sounds great in co-op. I don't know if it's, it's a single-player game I'm, mm -hmm. I'm necessarily that interested in, but it sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Like, yeah, working out, there, like, seeing what the characters have and what sort of variety they have and, yeah, putting them to use together and working out as a team. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I certainly liked it playing it on my own. I will play it co-op almost certainly, like, as primarily. Like, my partner's definitely into the idea of it as well. Mm -hmm. And I think... It's a game that is clearly built whilst it whilst it supports stealth. It feels like it's the sort of way that it supports it in. Wouldn't it be great if two of you could come from either side of this area and and work it out together rather than just playing it on your own? I don't yeah. think it's necessarily going to be detrimental if you don't want to play it with anyone, but I think its highest potential is probably there if you are playing it with other folks. Mm. Nice very looking forward to it but yeah also you get a stake launcher in it which was my favorite weapon <laughs> and when you sick. fire that into them they they just immediately explode oh i was hoping it would like send them backwards into the wall and then they would like sort of melt around it. no it's very much it's the it's the only one hit kill weapon for a for a vampire yeah. basically and you get like a uv gun which you can kind of fire the beam into it and they'll gradually turn to stone nice. i do want more vampires in games and this is like perfect timing yeah so i'm happy i suppose um i suppose it all takes place at night right uh no there is a day night cycle but they have blotted out the sun so when it's in the day it's not it's not full daylight but okay. that's like a fucking Mr. Burns sort of scenario going on there. <laughs> Part of me would actually be interested in the uh, sort of I Am Legend sort of scenario where mm -hmm. it's just like scavenging in the day and then at night it all well, kicks off. That's know, like what, dying, um, dying light. Sort of stuff, yeah, so yeah, that's dying light, isn't it? Yeah, no, this, yeah. this has got, it's got certainly systemic things where because each area is owned by a vampire god, if you kill too many of his like powerful like I guess lieutenants for a lack of a better word, if you keep killing powerful vampires, they send this guy called the Rook after you. So each time you kill someone, it'll be like the vampire gods are watching and a meter will build up. And then I built the meter up because I was curious to see what happens. And basically, an entire like electrical storm kicks off, and this vampire that's built like the Incredible Hulk just like lands in front <laughs> of you, has a load of backup, and it becomes like a very very difficult big shootout. Yeah. But I think in that that kind of dis that's the distinguishing point, right? It's not like Arcane's other games because so much of it revolves around full ball combat. Mm. So, you know, some to a degree, I think like Arcane almost made a rod for their own back by making so many Dishonored games. You know, they made three of them, maybe four, if you consider the DLC to be an entire game. And they made a name for themselves on were like really fucking good at stealth games. But they're obviously interested in looking, applying their 
outside the box thinking to other genres but everybody still comes to them and goes oh i'm guessing it's a stealth game but it's not this is definitely them playing around with shooters rather than (laughs) stealth I mean, and cynically as well, you can look at it from a financial perspective, like those games didn't exactly set the yeah. world on fire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shooters is the maybe, the, uh, you know, a, a, an avenue for them to Im- import their ideas, but to a broader audience. Mm. Yeah, something that someone will actually bloody play, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, like, I'm definitely like, I was um, kind of lukewarm and I, I thought I'd probably check it out, but you've definitely like, sold me on the idea and I'd be up for playing it as a team, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of us yeah, jumping sure. in and seeing what we could come up with. I'll be the quiet one, as always. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> you shut up when we're playing games. Uh, anyway, Matt, you, sorry, you, you've just had a you know big, long, talky bit, and now you've got another bit talky bit coming up, but you've seen something called Everywhere, which uh, was developed by, is it Leslie Benzi? Leslie Benzi, yeah, the f- producer of eight GTA games, and yes. like, one of the masterminds, I think, behind... He was one of the designers on GTA 5, and I think one of the reasons why it probably is as big as it was. Yeah. Like, he's a talented guy. So, Heritage, them. Yeah. So, yeah, you were invited to check out this new game called Everywhere. Now, I know you're going to have a tough time with this, but tell us what Everywhere is. <laughs> Jesus. Right. I, uh, you, can, you can read what it is on the website. It took me a long time to figure out how to explain <laughs> what it is. Mm. So, Everywhere developed by a so so leslie benzies now has a company called build a rocket boy so it's not made by rockstar that's important um and everywhere is less of a game more of a platform and at its heart it is the easiest way to describe it is it's it's like high definition roblox like it is a game creation tool but it doesn't stop there. It's more of a platform that includes that game creation tool, a social hub that reminds me a lot of PlayStation Home. Um, that's in like a, a city. So, so rather than PlayStation Home being, I guess, more of a plaza, yeah. this is a this is a city with different districts, and surrounding that city is an open world made up of four different biomes, um, and then. They're building another triple A, slightly GTA lookish game that you can only play in everywhere. And that's Is it using the tools though? Yes. So they are they obviously have like a better version of those tools because for example, (laughs) the the what they showed us of Mind's Eye obviously has motion captured characters in it and stuff. But fundamentally it's built in the tools that you can use in everywhere it doesn't feel like a good idea to release tools and say here's some amazing tools that you can mm-hmm. use but you'll never do better than this though so. <laughs> yeah 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 it is it is a bit i don't know like so obviously the tools have been very much designed as now what i will i'm going to preface this with i was at the studio for five hours i didn't once get to play this game and for example, of Mind's Eye, I got to see there was a trailer that was released yesterday, which is about thirty seconds long. I got to see that, plus maybe about another two minutes of which it was cutscene, not gameplay. So I can't really tell you a huge amount. And then the rest of it was watching very quick snippets of how the the how the game bit works and how the um, game creation bit works. So I've still only seen very very fragmented bits of this. But the game creation tool, it looks 
like the midway between Roblox and Dreams, in which if right. Dreams is where like you Dreams is completely blank canvas, right? In that you go in and you you literally have to sculpt the things that you want to begin with, and then you work from there. Whereas Roblox, let's say, is more like a Lego kit in that you're like putting stuff together. Mm. It's kind of like the midway point between there. So you can, it's very much kind of like, here's a menu with loads of things in it. Start dropping them in quite like a level editor from like Halo's level editors, for example. Yeah. Um, and you can do all of that. But then there's kind of like, so the one that they showed us was they got like wall pillars that they were building kind of like around the edge of this Coliseum style thing. And they were pre-built in the in the catalog. Yeah. But you can also use kind of like they wanted to build like a set of pipe work that came out of it. So there was loads of like little kind of like quarter semicircles and they fitted four of those together to create a cylinder and then okay. extruded it. So you're kind of using some very, very basic shapes to create more interesting shapes and some is pre-built stuff. And then obviously anything that a player makes can then be turned into what they call a stamp and then put in. So that might be like you created like, I don't know, a recreation of an item that's in one of your favorite games or you made something interesting. I mean, that's dreams, right? Yeah, dreams yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or you can do like, I built a boss and I've built, and you know, someone else has bought a level and they need a boss for their level so that they just take that other person's boss and drop it in their level. Um, so it's all, it's kind of like, it requires no coding knowledge whatsoever. It is very much that sort of like, I've put an item in here and I want to apply logic to it. If you touch this, it turns this on. Or if it, or if the enemy sees this, it does this to you. So it's very kind of like accessible design. The only thing I'd say about it is that we were being shown examples that were obviously being built by the people that have made this tool. I kind of think it looked all a bit boring. Um, Like the enemy, like they built this giant robotic scorpion and it was, I have a bugbear against enemies that just stay off screen and don't move. And that Mm. it's just like they reach into the player space. It's one of those enemies. But I don't think you can necessarily program it with a huge amount of like intelligence it just very much seemed to be it swept its claws left and right. And if you got caught in the claws, you got caught in the claws. And then it would tilt its head and breathe fire. And it kind of like, like it wasn't moving around. It wasn't doing anything particularly interesting. And whilst I understand that kind of like that is probably symbolic of what most people that play this game are going to create, because most people are not going to be like talented game designers, right? They just want to play around. They just want to create a Lego kit that's got things. Yeah. I think if you're demoing it to a bunch of press to tell the rest of the world what it's like, you want to demonstrate what the highest level of what we could, what someone could make in this. Yeah. And if that's what the highest level can make, I kind of think it's just a bit dull. Yeah. And that then applied to what they've made in the game is in terms of like, when I say that there's kind of like a, an open world that runs around the edge of the kind of city... They didn't really show us anything that could happen in there, but they showed us some examples of the third-person shooter combat that they've got and the driving, which seem to be like the two main mechanics of the game. And it it, it just, to me, looks a little bit like, oh, the racing is probably you just press A and go very fast and take some corners. And the shooting was, did a bunch of, bunch of double jumps and you shot a laser gun at things. And it all felt what I would describe as kind of bread and butter. Yeah. And I'm not sure... The whole sheen of it, whilst Mind's Eye, which is this AAA game they're making in everywhere, looks like 
I mean, the main guy in it is played by the guy that plays the main guy in Mafia 3, and he's recognized with that. It's got that kind of what I would call a Quantic Dream style sheen mm. to the graphics. Yeah. That's what it looks like. The main bit of everywhere, you know, the bit that you're going to be spending most of your time in, the bit where you play kind of like these these little mini games they've got and you play and you, you create your own games, all of that looks like Fortnite. It just I looks did. like they, they looked at Fortnite and was like, well, that's the aesthetic that everybody loves, so that's what we're going to use. And this makes no sense to me. Like, surely with a game creation tool, the idea is to maintain an aesthetic, right? To, yeah. So anytime you see a game developed in Dreams, you can tell by the brushstrokes yeah. mm-hmm. that this was made in Dreams. Yeah. You know, it's consistent vision across the board. Like, what, what are they really trying to make here? <laughs> like, are they trying to make a game creation tool or are they trying to build a social space where they yeah. think, oh, we can build a social space where people can make games to play together? Which I, I guess what Roblox is. Yeah, this, this is the thing is like... I. I genuinely have to spend five hours at the studio. I don't... Is there ambition to literally do everything or is there ambition, like, spread so thinly that there's no focus? Yeah. It's like, like as a social space, is it actually going to be an interesting social space? Like, the, in the city, there's PvP matches that you can go into, which I guess are kind of like little kind of zones where you do, like, you know, maybe 6v6. And there are races you can do. And I get the impression there's also similar things that you can do out in this kind of open world that rings around the city. But that kind of looks like, well, why would I do that when I can play Fortnite, which has already, like, a very established good gun feel, has interesting mechanics and stuff like that. I suppose Fortnite's not a social space, though, is it? Well, so, But it is a social space now because of the create mode where people have just been making, like, islands that you can go and hang out in. Also, just, like, a day ago, they, what, they announced the Fortnite creative, like, what, 2.0? Like, Unreal Editor and Fortnite are pretty much just one thing now. So that game's going to last fucking forever. Like, possibilities are near enough endless with new Unreal Engine Mm -hmm. tech. Yeah. And the Fortnite, name, which is a good shooter. What you kind of described to me was, at first, it, I thought it was, it was sounding like the city in Free Guy a little bit. Right, maybe yeah. not even, maybe nowhere near as good mm-hmm. as that. But like the idea that people can be social, but there's also fucking mad car chases and things like that going on that people have custom built. Is it that impressive? Well, Probably not, not. Not from what I can tell is I think like, I don't think you're going to have like the game bits happening alongside the social bits. I think you like you're in the city, like a, like the plaza from, from PlayStation yeah. home. And you know, an impressive thing they showed me is, is that you can walk up to like a video screen that shows a PVP match going on and you'd walk into it. Like you'd lump, okay. you jump into the screen. So there's some presentation things that are interesting. And I think like the game bits are more instanced away from the social bits. But the social bits to me just sounded a bit like, right, so you know that Fortnite has got, like, their creator modes and people have been making loads of, like, interesting islands that are more for mucking about in than they are for, like, playing Battle Royale. Mm. But also, the idea that it's got, it's got, like, an entertainment district. And it's like, okay, well, what's that for? Well, it's, it feels to me, it's like, well, Fortnite can do, like, big concerts and they can do... um like all of this kind of uh, like Christopher Nolan doing his premieres for his trailers yeah. in Fortnite. It feels like it's all built to do stuff that Fortnite has been doing for years that Roblox have been doing for decades. Mm. And it's a bit like, it all feels a bit, I can't necessarily see what the advancement is over those games. Yeah. Aside from the fact that this has like this open world that it's a game creator in a social space that already has like an open world built in it 
but they've shown me nothing about that open world and that and their bespoke game modes that I would want to play over a game that's more dedicated to that. I'd rather go off and play Rainbow Six Siege if I want to shoot, or I'd rather play Fortnite if I wanted a colorful battle royale. Like I'd rather yeah. play yeah. those games. And so it's a bit like, well, it's everything and, and almost is it going to end up being everything and nothing at the same time? Yeah. I, I think yeah. it needs a better sense of identity, a better sense of focus. I mean, and the and like, what are the what's their audience? What are they going for here? Because I don't think you're going to pull away from Roblox. No. Because then, like, I've played Roblox quite a few times with my nieces and mm-hmm. stuff. Like, there is an inherent simplicity and charm to that game that you're never going to yeah. be able to achieve with the way this looks. What I can tell, yeah, that will never appeal to children, mm-hmm. like really young children. And, that they and can... even even on the flip side of that, like people are developing like near enough like pretty good looking like first person shooters as well for Roblox these days as well. And even VR tiles within Roblox mm-hmm. as well. Like people yeah. are going insane in just that game alone. You also can't compete with, uh, I don't know when Roblox came out, probably about 10 years ago, maybe. maybe I think the original one, 2006, I yeah, think. I was playing it when I was in primary school. You yeah. can't compete with that kind of legacy out the gate yeah. either. And yeah. then like, this is a new studio. It's their first game. What happens if it just doesn't perform for the first year? They're going to yeah. abandon it mm-hmm. potentially. Like, my feeling is for. that it's almost like maybe the original idea was to position it as you, you've done Roblox, you're not at the point where you're going to use Dreams, which is a bit too kind of like blank canvas. You have to come up with everything for Dreams, yeah. right? And so it feels like it's almost set in the middle there. But that middle was Fortnite creator mode, which was like you're given just an island in Fortnite. You can do whatever you want with it. So I think that's where if you're in like for lack of a better word, middle school, that's where you're going to go. You're going to graduate from Roblox to Fortnite creator. And now you're going to graduate from that to the new Unreal editor for Fortnite, <laughs> yeah, which gives exactly, you yeah. Fortnite creative mode, but with even more freedom. Like if you started, you know, if you're in high school or, or early university and you've started doing 3D modeling, well, now Unreal editor for Fortnite allows you to put those 3D models you've made into your Fortnite creations. Mm. So it's like there's such a clear... Roblox, Fortnite creator, Unreal for Fortnite pathway that I'm now like, well, where does yeah, where does this stand a chance? Like Fortnite's got 500 million users. <laughs> it also doesn't have even like what Fortnite has and even what PlayStation Home had was the licensing aspect yeah. of it as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Like, unless they want to spend a load of money and get licenses involved with it. Like that, you know, the, the big value to PlayStation Home was that. It was just like, yeah, I love Gran Turismo. I can go to a place where other people love Gran Turismo and we can mm-hmm. talk about it and we can launch a game together. Yeah. And that was 15 years ago, you know, like, and Fortnite obviously is like up to the wazoo fooled with licenses and new, every time a new film yeah. comes out, there's something new comes with it. Yeah. Are they going to be able to do that in this game? Like, probably not off the yeah. bat. Like, I don't want to say it's doomed because I've seen all of, like, you know, an hour of it in, in motion. Yeah. But um, I, I, mean, I don't it, think it, it paints, looks good. It paints a picture, doesn't it, of just what's probably going to be an impress, maybe an impressive tool set when it comes out. Mm-hmm. But there's already so many things other people can do. Yeah. And then this this new creative method isn't going to get <laughs> any traction behind it. It's just going to die. I think you're bang on the money in that, like, it might be an impressive thing in isolation. Like, I think it will probably be quite fun to put a level together with that tool. Like, there's probably yeah. some fun to be had, but it won't come out in isolation. It's going to come out to Roblox, which has dominated children's, like, introduction to games, and Fortnite, which is the biggest thing on the planet and has no sense of stopping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, 
You never know, though. You never know. Like, I remember when Fortnite first came out and it was easily dismissed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Like, um, so you, you never know. They might build, word of mouth might build and, you know, mm-hmm. they might have some plans at the sea. Like you said, you've only seen a tiny, tiny, yeah. tiny. And, and, maybe, and maybe that Mind's Eye game turns out to be absolutely. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Terrific, and that's the pull-in, right? Like, they use that to pull people in. Lincoln yeah. Clay is back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so we're not, we're not going to do a game this week, and I think primarily that's because... Uh, we had a lot of feedback come in this week, so I think we're going to do a double round of feedback. Um, Matt, I've got you up first, mainly because yours intros, uh, the aspect that we're talking about, 10 out of 10 seasons. Yeah, last no season, worries at all. That. So this is from our very frequent uh, uh, emailer, CJ in Nebraska. Hello again, CJ. And he says, hey, CJ. hey all, I hope everyone is well. Last episode, you discussed what TV seasons are a 10 out of 10. And I was thinking about it, and similar to you all, all the best seasons of TV I could think of were dramas. There are lots of great comedy TV shows that I love, but I'm not sure I would say any of them have a 10 out of 10 season. Maybe season two of Arrested Development, but I haven't watched it in a long time, and my perspective on it may have changed. Do you think that it's harder for a comedy series to be consistently great, or do you think there is a shared cultural bias against comedy TV shows when considering them in terms of acclaim? Or is there just something about drama that has a greater staying power and emotional resonance when compared to comedy that justifiably elevates it above comedy in terms of authentic art? Also, the best shape of donuts is the traditional donut shape. I think the perfect. I think it's the perfect ratio of dough to topping. Also, I personally don't like donuts with filling, so just a good old-fashioned glazed donut is perfect for me. Love the show, and thank you for all the hours of joyful content you provide. Respect the sea. Um, that's... The comedy thing, I 100% think comedy show, if anything, for me, I think it's easier for a comedy show to be a 10 out of 10 for me oh, really? than, a, than a drama show. Because I think it, comedy is so subjective, right? That if, mm-hmm. it, if it, to you personally, if it just triggers you and you're like, plugs directly into your funny bone, it's like, what is this show looking to deliver? What is this episode looking to deliver? If that has kept me like hilariously laughing all the way through, yeah, that, that's a 10 out of 10. 10 doesn't mean perfect, does mm-hmm. it? It just means it's the best it can yeah. be for you. Mm-hmm. I think there's I think there's several early seasons of The Simpsons that are 10 out of 10. I think yeah. um, there's a couple of seasons of The Office. Uh, in fact, the UK Office and some seasons of the U- US Office are like, you know, just perfect ep- where I know I can put that season on, just watch it back to back. Yeah. I think even like season five, I think, of uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, for mm. example, it's just like, Every episode is consistently great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that show's been running since like 2005 and it's, you know, had a lot of steam behind it trying to keep those laughs up. And there's some episodes which aren't so fantastic. I was very hit and miss these days. But yeah. like, 
But like there, there is some long running shows tend to have the, you know, their peak seasons, right? Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, like 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10 TV is hard, especially for drama, I think, because for drama, you're reliant on the, um, the through line narrative, right? Mm-hmm. You need it for the A to B needs to be consistently great and no dips. And even shows, I think, you know, like I think Breaking Bad is one of the greatest shows of all time. It has the old episode where it might just lull just ever mm-hmm. so slightly. Whereas comedy, I feel like I'm judging the season on the merits of how good was each individual episode sure. as opposed to the consistent through line. I'm not, mm-hmm. it's a different criteria see, that I'd be doing. See, I like. almost have the same feeling as you, but with the opposite like outcome in that it's kind of like for me, like you will get seasons of comedy where there's just an episode where I don't laugh. And yeah. it's like, and because each episode has to stand on its own merit, because most season, most comedies don't have a through line, right? So you can't be kept afloat by your investment in the characters and their ongoing kind of story. Yeah, It has to be based on if the gags are good. And if you yeah. just get one episode where the gags aren't good, then suddenly you don't have a 10 out of 10 season. Sure. I get I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. But it's again, it's, is it more, it feels like more subjective than a drama story. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Like, Mm-hmm. So I, I guess, you know, it's a, it's a personal response. That's why, you know, like, yeah, I'd feel uncomfortable about reviewing a comedy series and the scoring at 10 because it's like what I think is absolutely hilarious. Even someone as close to me as my wife might think is just not funny at all. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that happens a lot in my house. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but, you know, like what is scoring a 10 anyway? You know, it's just like you're, you're telling people that you think something is great. You know, yeah. or a masterpiece in this mm-hmm. occasion, yeah. right? So, uh, personal opinions um, and the donut thing. I don't have any strong feelings on donuts. Uh, I feel like this when, has become when a topic. Did this of, donut discussion. So again? I think. Oh, I think me and Carly were talking about it. To be fair, but um, I think we didn't get any. We solicited feedback. And we didn't get any, and then Carly made a point. And we didn't get any, so now we've had loads. Come on in. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, well, strong feelings on donuts, boys. Uh, I love Crosstown Donuts, which is I think they're mostly only in London, um, okay. but they're, they're my favourite donuts. They're 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 very expensive, um, but they are very tasteful. They're not. There's another company that I don't like that I see around London called Donut Time. I had a box of theirs, yes. and it just felt like they just stuck a load of fucking sweets on the top of them. Yeah. Way way too much. Whereas uh, for me, uh, the uh, the Crosstown Donuts are tastefully done. Yeah, I think Donut Time is the one in my town. I've got a little one of them. But it's everyone, I see them and I think, oh, that looks delicious. But I also think that mm. looks like 4,000 calories. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, if I'm going to get these ones, it's a rare treat. And I cut it in half and I have <laughs> someone else has another half of it because I, I just couldn't eat that much. I think I prefer cronuts than donuts, but it's not really a particularly strong opinion. Is a cronut a croissant opinion. donut? Let us see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just a little donut, somewhat similar to a croissant so a cronut. okay but yeah okay he's a cronut boy <laughs> uh right i've got a next piece of feedback from clark baldwin and clark is also chiming in on the uh tv show thing the 10 out of 10 tv show and he says it has to be lost for me for its wild twists and solid zeitgeist conversation it was a joy to be a part of that mystery as it unfolded yes the writer's strike wrecked a bit of it and the ending was a disappointment but overall it's one of the pinnacle shows on tv and has yet to be matched michael giacchino's banger score was top tier too Helped that we had heroes at the same time which was also had an amazing first season mm. respect the c clark b Ooh, little rhyme at the end like um it. Lost is like one of my favorite shows of all time. I'm a huge fan, but 
even I can acknowledge that, you know, <laughs> there is consistency issues. There is definitely, I think the first season is probably as close as it comes to in getting a perfect season of television. Yeah. Um, but it also had had to deal with the fact that they had to be 24 episode seasons back mm -hmm. then as well, which is like, it's almost an impossible task to maintain like this high bar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's right in terms of Zeitgeist conversation. And like, it was, it was what any nerd worth their salt back then watched Lost and talked about Lost yeah. every mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know if that's necessarily makes it, you know, the show a masterpiece. It's more just like triggered. It, it triggered something. It got into the, you mm -hmm. know, the Zeitgeist. Um, and the right, I would say, where you said mention the writer's strike, that was for season four. And I think that's my favorite season because it's only 14 episodes. And it's, it's a nice, little bit more focused. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. focused and tight, you know. Um, and the ending is a different conversation. But mm. what well, yes, I will I, say that this, this uh, what uh, Clark brings up that is interesting is I do quite often think that the difference between a nine and a 10 is the emotional value that the thing mm. brings. Right. And kind of like, I think, you know, if we, if we you know, I'm guessing, Dale, you wouldn't even necessarily give it an eight for the entirety of its run. If you've got, uh, sorry, yeah, a nine for the entirety of its oh, run. No, but yeah. it might be that it's a, you know, a nine that because of his lived experience through like that time when it was such a thing, that emotion can help tick it over into the 10, right? Like it's the thing that yeah. makes it special. I'd say without a doubt, there's a dozen episodes in Lost that are 10 out of 10 episodes. Um, but consistently as a show, yeah, an eight would probably be mm -hmm. all right. Because for... For every ten, there's a there's a handful of like fours as well. So yeah, it oh, kind of it kind of I'm, balances out. I'm planning on watching it soon. I'm excited based on everything you've said, Dale. Mate, just like yeah, there's a couple of episodes in season three. One called Stranger in a Strange Land in particular, which are just shockingly shit. And you can and you can really tell at that point that they were treading water trying mm. to sign an agreement to end the show because they were just like coming it's an episode about how jack got his tattoos and it's <laughs> it's just really rubbish i think i just remember as a kid because i think like my mum was maybe watching through lost a bit when it was airing and i just remember all the jokes about how it's just the most complex and bizarre show and that. like everything's like a dream or it isn't and no one knows what's going on and there's like, no just, there's no dreaming i don't know what you're on about there i just remember <laughs> i just remember being you're, a you're funky show you're 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 reading into that bullshit, stupid narrative that people like thought at the end of the show it was a dream all along. They I mean, th that's like, what I remember. People always just bringing it's not up true. about it's not Lost, true. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to actually watch it because I don't know anything about it. You really. should totally watch it, man. And the fact that, like, if you don't know any major plot twists and spoilers, then you're getting a fresh view. Like, yeah. I mean, the only thing you're not getting is the week to week waiting, yeah. right? and the conversations in between, which was. For me, that was a key part of the show. You know, it yeah. was being on forums, listening to podcasts every week, hearing like theories and everyone's predictions and theories and all sorts. Yeah, I think so. I've mentioned it before, but my first experience with Lost was the Xbox 360 game. I think it was Lost <laughs> via Domus or some shit. Via Domus, yeah. That's that was fucking, fucking awful. <laughs> yeah, but it's also mad because that is proper connected to the story as oh, well. Oh, no. Although some of it's weird because some of it's canon and some of it's not, so it's not really like connected. So some um, is a dream and well, some it was, isn't. No, there's no <laughs> dreaming. It was um, supposed to be canon when it came out, and I think uh, as the show carried on, it kind of like some things were ruined. Oh, like, yeah, but, sad. Yeah, you don't need to play that game. It's fine. <laughs> Good, uh, Jesse. You've got the next one. Yes, it's Sandy from York. Hi all, dark hunt. Firstly, donuts. <laughs> Doe Baker House in York sell my favorite donuts, basically like a fresher, tastier Krispy Kreme. 
Currently, I have a pistachio donut and a cream egg donut sat at home for me. Would recommend. Check it out, Northerners. <laughs> <laughs> cream egg donut doesn't sound right. I do like a cream egg, but I'm not sure. It sounds like it'll be too rich in a donut See, for me. Th- this, is, this is my, like, I don't like it when people just throw, like, a chocolate bar into a donut. <laughs> it's like, come up with an interesting flavor. Like, make make a nice jam or a custard for it. Yeah. Put a good glaze on it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm think I'm with you. It, they do look nice though, don't they? When they've oh, got sweets beautiful. all over the top. Yeah, 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 they look amazing, but I don't think that like just just go and buy a chocolate bar and then get a good donut. <laughs> Especially when you're taking a bite of it and all the things are just yeah, falling just off falling the top. Off, yeah. <laughs> what I don't like is when people put sweets on donuts, like what? chewy candy sweets and stuff. Fuck you. I don't like fuck you. <laughs> I love sweets, Great. mate. Put them on everything, it's fine. Oh, it just doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, uh <laughs> Sandy goes on to say Secondly, 10 out of 10 TV season is Hero Season 1. It's not perfect, but it's a masterpiece of superhero TV show. Its characters feel well-rounded and are engaging. Great mix of storytelling and mystery. Excellent villain and genuinely creepy. Miles above every other superhero TV show. So sad they basically ruined it from Season 2 onwards. But for just that one season, outstanding. Extra feedback. Never agreed with Joe's reviews, but thought he was <laughs> top bloke in this one. Respect Joe's review. That's Go great. On. That's a fantastic way to end that. Um, well, he, you didn't finish up. What ah, was the last little piece? My bad. Respect the sea. Grave diggers and poffer doms are are the best savory <laughs> snack. Sandy from York. I think I actually agree with that poffer dom statement. To be fair, uh, but okay. the and also what I really want to know what reviews of Joe's they really disagreed <laughs> with. <laughs> Yeah, um, but heroes. I never watch heroes. Um, I'm quite surprised to keep hearing that it seems to be like an amazing first season, and then because I've seen like the occasional YouTube retrospective thumbnail where yeah. it's like what went wrong with heroes. There's a and stuff, few like, shows never. around, a few shows of that era where there was like that. Right, Prison Break was like that as well, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Like it had a really good first season and then sort of dropped off. And then he and gets out of the prison. Dexter, I believe, was like that too. Uh, never really. Dex- Dexter it. was good for like four seasons. Oh, okay. Five, right. five is. I quite like five, but it's not okay. it's not brilliant. Uh, as for heroes, uh, my season one came out in the summer just before I went to uni, and season two started just as I got to uni. And like my my bedroom wall in my first place at uni had got like a giant sort of like heroes ensemble poster <laughs> yes. and a big poster Legend. of Hayden Panettiere from Heroes. Um, oh yeah, that's what sort of like. That was her first big role, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, the whole save the cheerleader, save the world stuff from Heroes is genuinely very good. And the, the man in the horn rim glasses as a kind of villain is genuinely a very good, like, continuation of the smoking man kind of trope from the X-Files. Um, and, yeah, the the whole... I wouldn't necessarily say it was a 10 out of 10, and I I don't know if it's... Is it... Do I think it's the best superhero TV show? It's a very good, like, reinterpretation before the MCU came and completely redefined what we thought of superheroes and comic books it was a good i liked it because it wasn't adapting something straight it was honoring like the traditions of the genre and like reinventing them and doing fun things i it's it's 20 like four episodes long which means i'll never ever revisit it because i don't have the patience for long tv shows anymore but i've got fond memories of that first season i genuinely think it was it was very groundbreaking at the time uh, I haven't seen it, but also I want to say that the best TV uh, superhero show is The Boys, not Heroes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. No, The yeah. Boys is better. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of any Marvel ones I really loved, to be honest. No, like, they're no, all like, no. I suppose the first couple of seasons of Daredevil were like quite revered. Yeah. And people loved them. I, I was I never the, massive in it. Yeah. I really like the first season of Jessica Jones as well, but like in mm-hmm. terms of 
I think the boys does exactly what it sets out to do and it does it damn fucking well. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's the best. Uh, Matt, you're up next. Yeah, so this is from Elliot in Melbourne. And he says, Hi, IGN UK folks. For a while, I lived in China as a teacher. In a bid to avoid working when hungover, I decided to show a few Western movies throughout my time there. To keep it equal, I showed each movie to all of my classes. As a result, I saw Shaun of the Dead, Mean Girls, and Pet Cemetery about 20 times each in the space of a week. It took about 10 years before I could watch any of them again. Respect the sea from Elliot. Uh, so that, this is in response to last week when, uh, what did somebody say they watched? Like, Oh, they watched, um, was it Midsummer? Like five times, five nights in a row. <laughs> That's way something. too many. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and then the question was posed, have you ever watched a film like repeatedly, mm-hmm. like when it first came out? Um, and then, yeah, this happened. I think for and me, that was 2012's Battleship. I saw it four times in the space what? of a week. Different friends wanted to go and they just kept paying for my tickets and just took me out but, to dinner. So I was like, might as well. <laughs> hang on. But like, that's a dog shit film though, right? <laughs> yeah, it's dreadful. But <laughs> but it why? Was just... But I give the pay for your ticket. I'll be like, you have to pay me to go. Not pay me for the <laughs> ticket. Pay me extra money if it's <laughs> they, bad. They got me food afterwards. So it was fine. Prostitute yourself for battleship. <laughs> for battleship, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great time, Jesse, 2012. Uh, I saw A Force Awakens five times at the cinema, to be fair. That's but it wasn't, back, it wasn't back to back. It was like over the course of a month, you know. Um, back to back. Um, and it was also like a couple of times, you know, um, I went with three different people to mm. see it. And then a couple of times just because I was obsessed and I wanted to watch it again. You know? <laughs> Star Wars nerd. Yeah. Oh, mate, it was the best time. Oh, uh, yeah, It was know, the I best know. time to be a Star Wars fan when The Force Awakens came out. Yeah, I so know. Good. Uh, yeah, what about you guys then? Uh, apart from Battleships, Matt, have you got any films <laughs> that you've watched back to back? No, no. I mean, it takes me years. I think there's been a couple of times when there's been things at the cinema that I've watched, but it's always been like about three weeks later coming to the end of the run. It's like I saw Blade Runner 2049 when it first came out and then I watched it just as it was coming to the end of the run. Yeah. But um, no, no. Like Most of the time I, I need like at least five years before I go back and see something. Didn't you have any like um, uni films or anything like that? Like when you live with friends or anything? No. Like, I've got a few films like that, which we wouldn't watch back to back, but we definitely watch like a few times a month because it was just like, we're hanging out, we'll put it on. Right. And then they're like, um, Will Ferrell's Old School was one of them. <laughs> the Starskin Hutch, it was very much that the era. Starskin and Hutch film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I watched that loads. Uh, the Anchorman, um, I think uh, Matt mentioned on the podcast last week, but Basketball, uh, that was one that was definitely in rotation as well. It was that kind of era of comedy film, really, mm-hmm. that would, mm-hmm. concert. Uh, there was Friday as well, I used to watch that quite a lot too. Um, but it was good times, good times. I know all those films, like, I know the entire script. I burned into my brain. <laughs> uh, if, by the way, um, write into IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com if you've got any films that you've uh, watched religiously over a very short mm. span of time. Or if you if you want to talk about donuts, go for it. You know, How many times some... have you seen Battleship in the cinema? <laughs> Let us know. That's, that's mad. <laughs> And you justified like it was such a like an impressive thing, as in like oh, I'm getting no, free no, food it was, for it. I mean, that was the only benefit. The same sort of happened with Transformers: Dark Side of the Moon or Dark of the Moon. The that was also moon. shit. Yeah, but yeah, free food afterwards. So I can't they, that I mean, those ones are like two and a half hours, three hours long as well, aren't they? The Transformers. Yeah, yeah <laughs> sadist, out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, I got the next one from Gage Luke. Wait. 
Is that Luke? <laughs> I read that as <laughs> Luke Cage for a second. Uh, he says, I, I appreciate this, Cage, because I, the other week, said that I wanted to call emails vibe checks from now on and he is the only person who's written in calling him a vibe check (laughs) what's the vibe he says how's your vibe can i get a vibe check you can get a vibe check mate uh right here's the thing what the fuck are we abix as a traitorous yankee i've no knowledge of this strange breakfast creation from the commonwealth i realize i could just google what they are but after listening to you talk so much about them on the vibecast appreciate that as well (laughs) i thought it would be more fun for me to just describe what i think they are based on your chat and then have you all tell me how right or wrong i am so this is luke uh sorry gage's luke uh, fucking hell mate you're now gage. luke cage his name is gay not luke cage luke cage's uh opinion of what weetabix are weetabix i don't know if i'm spelling that right he's not spelling nope. that right yes uh i think what is it is there's no h right so no it's h W-E, yeah uh are small granola bars that you break up into a bowl and pour milk or water over. The water aspect (laughs) makes me think that it's closer to oatmeal or grits because pouring water over cereal sounds like the most bland experience I've I've ever imagined (laughs) putting in my mouth. The fact that you can eat them hot makes me think it's definitely more of an oatmeal. But the fact that one guy was eating 20 a day makes me think (laughs) that this is more like a bite-sized cookie type thing. Are these bland wheat cookies that you put hot milk over and eat like breakfast cereal? What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Love you all. Respect the sea. But grave diggers are untrustworthy and you should be wary of them. Okay. okay. Where do we start? So I think the first thing to establish here <laughs> is that cereals in the US are very different to cereals in the UK. Yeah. Having very recently been in a Target or walked down the cereals aisle trying to find some low sugar breakfast cereal, <laughs> let me tell you, you can't fucking do that in America because American cereals are all candy. Um, Unless it's granola or something. Yeah. It's like the opposite end of the spectrum. Isn't oh, it? Even that has got so much sugar in it because they use sugar to stick the oat clusters together, right? right so... Yeah. Whereas in the UK, we have, I guess, what you would consider compared to fruit pebbles and mm. and uh, and all of that somewhat blander cereal. So we, I guess small granola bars is at least within the vague ballpark, right, of what it is. It's a, I guess, like palm-sized like yeah. brick made up of <laughs> wheat that has kind of like been compressed together, I suppose, is yeah. the best way. Palm sizes are good. Yeah, they're definitely like palm sizes. They've got with, with like a brick, but with radius edges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's all very like heavily compressed. But as soon as you pour milk on it, the thing kind of like goes soggy and falls apart a little bit. And then and you, you mash then it up kind of, and turn yeah. it into like a porridge consistency or, or as you say, an oatmeal consistency. Yeah. Do you want to point out the person eating 20 a day? I thought that he was talking about the, the Australian wheat bix ones, which are like mini ones. They're smaller, yeah. Um, there's no way a human being can eat 20 British wheat bix No. Like, it's impossible. Yeah. You'd have to, like, the size of the bowl alone would have to be <laughs> insane. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, some people do have them hot. I don't think that's particularly, like, that common like everyone mm. i've known never eats them hot but it's mostly yeah and also the water thing is weird so uh it's mostly yeah just milk and then people tend to put sugar a bit of sugar on top of them mm-hmm. because there is no sugar it's just yeah pure yeah. wheat <laughs> and i guess so, some people will then throw some like blueberries or like cut mm. a banana yeah. on top of it and stuff like that to, to give you a little bit of extra but yeah the 20 a day like i know that the australian ones are smaller I don't think they're like. I think they're only about half the size of a That's UK one. Well, you can and get like mini ten. ones, though, can't you? 
You can get mini Weetabix, yeah, which are, as he says, a bite-sized cookie type thing. That is closer to what a mini Weetabix is because yeah. they either have chocolate chips in or little bits That's of raisin. True. Those yeah. are the best ones. Um, but yeah, the idea of eating 20 a day, I still think sounds mad, even if they're smaller. Because mm. Weetabix is quite a filling breakfast cereal compared to a die. lot of other options. <laughs> like, it's... It, it, it's yeah. kind of thick when you eat it if you've yeah. broken it down into like sludge. <laughs> it's quite a unique cereal as well because I feel like it's not nobody's just eating Weetabix right on their own. It's it's one that you have to add things to. Like even like at the, yeah, like I said, the pure base level is milk and a bit of sugar maybe, mm-hmm. and then there's all these other things that you add on top of it. It's not just like cornflakes or something. It's just like out of the box. You can just eat it, you know. Or sh- I mean, you, you can, and they do the banana flavored mm-hmm. one, don't they? And they do the chocolate flavored one, but oh, like I, I, I've never bought them. They so don't taste yeah. good to me. I'm a traditional boy when, when it comes to Weetabix. <laughs> it's it's definitely a, a the base of your breakfast, isn't it? Rather than the yeah. breakfast itself. Yeah, you build on top of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Weetabix law. I do like Weetabix. Um, I do remember the day when I moved from two to three Weetabix. That was when I knew I became Whoa. a man. <laughs> and look at you now, Dale. <laughs> Still on three, to be yeah. fair. Although I, don't, I haven't had them in such a long time. I'm on, I'm on Rice Krispies at the moment. Mm. I rot- rotate my cereal between Rice Krispies, cornflakes, shreddies and Weetabix. I think Weetabix <laughs> tastes just grim. It just tastes like dirt to me for some reason. Get some, get some stuff on them, mate. I've just been eating them with water. I think that's my issue. <laughs> with water, <laughs> Jesse. No, I'm fucking joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to you need to add stuff. It's like sugar is an absolute must on on Weetabix. You know, yeah. uh, this uh, we got one last email, Jesse. This is up for yeah, you. Yeah, this is from Tom Crump. Oh, which did I, you do that? <laughs> it sounds like a powerful name. Does it, Tom Crump? It sounds like a villain name. Like in Sounds Harry like Potter. a bloody Tolkien character. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Crump says, Hello, IGN goblins. I don't Hope regret this- calling him a Tolkien character now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hope this first quarter of the year has been all right for you. Speaking on donuts, <laughs> which seemingly no one has piped up on, the cowards. Wow. The best donuts were, are, the freshly fried donuts in those huge humming trucks that for some reason are always parked up our local Asda in Leicester. I, I wouldn't be able to relate to that, mate. Well, you they don't know were, what he means, where the, the big, like, just the, the random vans you see at festivals and they've got these donuts that are just, like, I've just never disgustingly seen a, sugary. I've never seen just the donut van before. Really? No. Oh, I've I never see seen, like, a mate. van that sells, you know, a variety of things, but never just a specific donut van. Oh, they exist. Yeah. That yeah. seems foreign to me. Yeah. You, you people in the Midlands. I mean, it is true. There used to be one in the Wolverhampton High Street every Saturday. Maybe it is a Midlands thing, yeah, but the the, the big old dirty fry. I remember like, yeah, I think he mentions car boot sales, but I remember when I used to go car boot sales with my dad and they'd always have that van, always. That's weird. It's like a fucking stalker. Um, Anyway, Crump goes on to say they are sublime. The smell carried throughout the entire car park, large. And sugar donuts are just better. They just are. And I do make the rules. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> Occasionally There's a lot of when... attitude in this year. Yeah, <laughs> no, I like Tom Crump. It's good, it's good stuff. Occasionally when a car boot fair is visited, there is no I like that I've seen a used yoga mat, a pile of clothes on a piece of tarp, and three copies of Trainspotting on VHS, <laughs> all blue from sun damage. They crop up there too, filling the insatiable need for hot sugar at 7.04 in the morning on a Sunday. God's day. It's what he did on the seventh day. <laughs> Boot fair and donuts, nutter. Yeah. Also, if one of the horror boys is on, please speak on Mundawn. It's one of the best games I've ever played. Completely hand drawn and scanned on 3D textures. Basically, Swiss 
the Wicker Man. Love you, sesh heads. Respect the sea. Also, my name is Tom Crump, so the sea <laughs> is me. You have all been respecting me the whole time. Brilliant. Uh, Thank you, Tom Crump. I will go ahead and disappoint <laughs> you. I played a bit of Mundorn. Thought it was boring. Stop playing it. <laughs> wouldn't there say it's one of the best games but it is visually quite impressive turns out jesse does not respect the sea on this yeah. occasion <laughs> i am no longer a fan of the crump uh, i don't even know what that game is so yeah. um, but if you don't like it jesse i imagine i'm probably not worth my time checking out Nah, don't do it don't listen to crump. even though the cr- even though the crump stars is, is big on it. <laughs> it. that sounds crumpy. like a donut to be fair the crump stat. Well, yeah, just like a crump. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that would be, though. don't know what that would look like. Yeah. Um, yeah, donuts, eh? People are <laughs> writing in about We had quite a few on donuts this week, as well as the 10 out of 10 TV shows. Keep sending in your thoughts. iGent underscore UK feedback at iGent.com. And uh, that's us for the week, I think, guys. Yeah, just make sure to catch a viewing of a battleship and have oh. a good weekend, everyone. <laughs> I would generally, like... <laughs> I I want to hear from other people who have seen Battleship more than once. There must be out there. I can't there. I can't remember a single thing from Battleship, to be fair. So. Isn't Rihanna in it? Yeah, she is. Yeah. But she's not in the game. Unbelievable. I love that. Wait, what game are you talking about here? The like Battleship the actual, game. <laughs> the traditional board game. No, the first-person shooter they made on the Xbox 360 and PS3. <gasps> Why did bad. you like, you play you, first? You talk about Lost Via Domus, and now you're talking about why did you play these bad games? Uh, they were like two pounds at the store. Might oh, as well okay. pick them up, innit? Yeah, might as well. Yeah, it's time to it's time to finish. Right, see you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.